Today's reading comes from a few different places in Genesis. We're starting with Genesis 17, verses 15 through 19 and 21. God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. Then he laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a ninety-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael were acceptable to you. But God said, No, your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. And then Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15. The Lord appeared to Abraham at the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. He looked up and he saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them, bowed to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have found favor with you, please do not go on past your servant. Let a little water be brought, that you may wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I will bring a bit of bread so that you may strengthen yourselves. This is why you have passed your servant's way. Later you can continue on. Yes, they replied, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, Quick, knead three measures of fine flour and make bread. Abraham ran to the herd and got a tender choice calf. He gave it to a young man who hurried to prepare it. Then Abraham took curds and milk as well as the calf that he had prepared and set them before the men. He served them as they ate under the tree. Where is your wife Sarah? they asked him. There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, No, you did laugh. And then Genesis 21, 1-7. The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne a son for him in his old age? The word of the Lord.
turn myself on. Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name's Eric. I have the privilege of being the pastor here at Trinity. This fall, we are in a teaching series on the book of Genesis, focusing in on the life of Abraham. Abraham, later on in the Bible, and we've been talking about this, is called the father of all who believe. He's called father because, as Genesis tells us, in him God began a new family in the human race. When we come to Genesis chapter 11, right before Abraham, it seems like the human story, God's plan of redemption is in a dead-end place. Things are dark, things are unraveling, and we're wondering what will happen. There, God calls one man and says, you're going to be the father of a new family, a family who lives by faith. Faith in God's promises, faith in God's covenant to restore the blessing that was lost in Eden, the blessing that we were made and created to enjoy and live in. And not only that, to be the channel of this blessing to all the world, as he says to Abraham, to all the families of the earth. One father of a new family to whom the blessing would be restored and then through whom that blessing would go to all the families. That's the story. So Abraham's story is an answer to the question, well, what does that look like to live by faith? He's the father, he's the star, he's the head of this new family within all the families of the human race. What does it look like? Well, we go to Abraham's story. His story is the answer. Everyone in his family and that includes all Christians, should go back to Abraham's story, later in the Bible it says, to follow in his footsteps, to learn from him, to learn from him and Sarah. And this is what we've been doing this fall. So to begin this morning's focus and teaching, I'd like to ask everybody to take a quick quiz with me for review and to get us thinking about our focus for the morning. Which of these is a sign of Genuine and growing faith. Certainty? Well, maybe, maybe not 100% certainty. We've seen how Abram and Abraham has struggled with that. Assurance? We saw last week how our assurance can ebb and flow. We should grow in assurance, but sometimes we don't have it. What about peace? Is that a sign of faith and growing faith? Patience. Abraham was quite impatient at times when there was a famine. As he was waiting on a son that God promised, he and Sarah came up with their own plan. Patience was hard for them. Self-control. You might say, yeah, that sounds right. That's a sign of faith, of genuine growing faith. Generosity. We see Abraham show generosity to Lot. He says, I can share I trust in God. That's a sign that we looked at. What about uh, seriousness? Is that a sign of genuine and growing faith? What about laughter? Martin Luther, this is in the reflection quotes in the front of the bulletin. One of the greatest theologians on the topic of faith once said, you have as much 
laughter as you have faith. He's saying, if your faith increases, right, then so does your laughter. That laughter is then a sign of faith, of a genuine and growing faith. And so I want to ask everybody, is that true? Is laughter a sign of faith? As we think about what does it look like to live a life of faith? Is laughter a part of it? Abraham's story tells us, yes. This is profoundly true. So much so that if you don't get it, this connection between faith and laughter, then you don't really get faith. You don't really get God. You don't get Christianity. You don't get the gospel. Laughter, as we all just read together in these passages, is one of the most important themes that pops up throughout Abraham's story. It's all throughout chapter 17, 18, and 21 in that climactic moment when Abraham and Sarah finally have this son that's been promised to them. He's named Isaac, which means he laughs. Major theme, laughter. But each of these chapters shows us a different kind of laughter. That's what I'd like to walk us through this morning. In chapter 17, Abraham laughed at God. I like to call that the laughter of disbelief. Chapter 18, Sarah laughed at God in a laughter of disappointment. In chapter 21, verse 6, Sarah laughs again, but this is a very different laugh. We could call it the laughter of faith. And she says, everybody who hears this story will laugh with me. And that's us. So maybe we should all be like cracking up by the end of this message. We'll see what happens. But to get there, to get to the laughter of faith, I think we we almost always, I think we always, in my opinion, have to pass through these other kinds of laughter first. So let's look at these first. Abraham's laughter in chapter 17. The laughter of disbelief. We looked at this briefly last week. God appears to Abraham when he's 99 years old and he confirms his promise, his covenant promise to him in verse 15. He says, you will have a son. And then he makes it very clear to Abraham This son will be born to your wife, Sarah, who is 90 years old. She, Sarah, will produce nations, and kings of people will come from her. It's quite a promise for a couple in their 90s. And how does Abraham respond to this? Look at verse 17. It says he fell face down, and then he laughed in the presence of God. At the word of God, at the promise of God, he laughed and said to himself, not out loud, right? This is in his mind. Can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, at 90, give birth? What kind of laughter is this? I think we're meant to see it as a laughter of disbelief. By disbelief, I mean the kind of incredulity, that when we hear something, or even when we see something right before our eyes, it's just, it's too much. And we say things like, 
No way. No way did that just happen. That did not just happen. Are you kidding me? Dictionary.com gives a great example of the word disbelief used in this way. It says, we stared at the Taj Mahal in disbelief. Like, it's right there. You can't deny it's right there, but the disbelief is like, how, how is this here? How is this happening? How is this thing real? I don't think Abraham is being irreverent or responding with a hard-hearted doubt here. He's face down before God. This is something different than skepticism. He is before God on his face. But what God is saying, it just seems so impossible. Like, I, you're God, I know, but what you're saying is outside of anything reasonable. It's what he's hoped for for so long. And now it seems too far out of reach to even be possible. It seems too good to be true. And so he laughs in disbelief. It's a mix, I think. His laughter is a mix of belief and unbelief. Reverence and ridiculousness. Fear of the Lord and the facts of the situation. And inside, he's saying, if we could see a little like bubble pop up, it would say, LOL, (laughs) right? He says, maybe God, you forgot. You know, verse 18, I already have a son. And God says, no, your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son and you'll name him. He laughs. That's my plan. You will be known as the father of kings. Imagine here what Abraham is feeling when he hears this. God, I, I, kinda, I had hoped in that. This great family that I might have, maybe when I was in my 30s and 40s. Then even maybe in our 60s when you called us to come to this new land, I said, maybe so, maybe. That was 40 years ago. What you're saying, God, it sounds too good to be true. It's too much. I can settle now for less. Let's work with what we got here. That'll be good enough. Kings and nations, that's too much. I don't need to hope in all of that. And he's just laughing in disbelief, like, no, I can't even believe what you're saying, God. And how does God respond? He's very gentle with Abraham's disbelief here. Why? Why does God not say, how dare you laugh at me? This is my word, my promise. And here's here's what I think. Abraham's laugh is not a sign that he doesn't get it. Abraham's laugh is a sign he does get it. He does get what God is saying. He does get the promise. God is telling him to believe. He is saying, God, we are helpless. We are barren. We are unable, me and Sarah. You are promising life from the dead. Hope for the hopeless, a baby to the barren. I know it's you, God. I know it's your word, but it's too good. It's too much. (laughs) He's laughing. And here's the application for us. If you haven't laughed at the promise of God in his word, then I don't know if you've ever really heard it. 
if you've ever really got it. One of the commentators I was reading this week, Ronald Wallace, said it like this. Those who first laugh at the impossibility of what faith is expected to believe often become the best kind of Christians. Those who first laugh at the impossibility of what faith is expected to believe, these are the best kinds of Christians. The laughers. The ones who begin with the laughter of disbelief. Why? Because Abraham and Sarah's story is a picture for us of what a Christian must believe to be a Christian. God is saying to us throughout his word, beginning here with Abraham and Sarah, here is the situation. Here is what I'm saying. You and the world around you is helpless, barren, and dead. More helpless, barren, and dead than you will ever know and want to admit. But the promise and the commitment that I have to bring blessing and fruitfulness and life to you and through you to the world is far beyond what you would ever hope, far beyond what you would ever ask for or imagine. Let me contrast it like this. This is at the heart of Christianity, so contrast. A religion that says, be good and you'll get good. Try hard, and in the end, God will be merciful to you and give you a decent life. Be devoted, just do your part, and then God will do his part. As you're hearing me say those things, I didn't hear anybody laughing. (laughs) There's nothing laughable about that. That's common sense. That's very reasonable. We say, yeah, I get it. That, That makes sense. I do my part, God does his. Be good and God will be good to me. No one laughs at that. Christianity says something radically different. It says, first, be barren. Be broken. Be dead. Be on the ground laughing at God. Then you're ready for God to bless you. Then you might just be getting it. You're ready for grace. The promise of God, the word of God, God's promise to bless the gospel first has to be laughable. Then you know you get it. There is a real sense that first we have to disbelieve in order to believe. That's the laughter of disbelief. Now let's look at Sarah's laugh in chapter 18. The Lord appears, it tells us, along with two mysterious companions. Somehow Abraham knows these are not just regular people. There's something special going on here, and he prepares a feast for them with Sarah. And the first thing they say to him as he's getting this meal together for them is, hey, where's your wife, Sarah? And he doesn't go, how'd you know her name? (laughs) Who are you guys? He knows something special is happening here. And then he says to them, she's there in the tent, verse 10, chapter 18, tells us this is the Lord. Now we know it's God. The reader knows. Tells Abraham, he says, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time. And when I do, Sarah will have a son. So this is God coming to Abraham. And this is like, you know, this is like a baby announcement. This is a gender reveal all wrapped up in one. This is happening here. 
Sarah was there listening at the entrance of the tent. In verse 12, what does it tell us? She laughed to herself. Inside, just like Abraham did in the previous chapter, she says, after I'm worn out, my Lord is old, will I have delight? That's funny. Why did Sarah laugh? Well, think about her story. Here the spotlight is on Sarah. At that time, honor and dignity and worth as a woman was all tied up into having children. No children, no future, and she had none. When we are introduced to her in Genesis 11.30, the very first time her name is mentioned, we're told she was unable to conceive. She was in her 60s then, and that was her story. For many years, the greatest longing of her heart was to have a child. She had followed Abraham, her husband, when God had told them, or told him, and he said, God told me, we've got to go to a land, and God will show us, and he's going to make us great. He's going to give us an offspring. And she went. And you could think at that point in time, she probably got her hopes up. Maybe my life will turn around. Maybe it will be different. Maybe the thing that I most long for will happen. Maybe God will do it. And that was a very long time ago when we come to chapter 18. We saw a few weeks ago, she came up with a plan that she thought would give her some sense of resolution to her pain and her shame. She said, maybe I'll have a servant through, or I'll have a child through my servant, Hagar, and then he'll be my child. It'll be like mine. That's how this can work. And all that went terribly wrong. It increased her pain. It increased her sense of shame and hopelessness. If, Abra- if Abraham had diminished hopes, Sarah was at the end of all hope. She was hopeless. She was deeply disappointed in her life, in God. At 90 years old, she was cynical and jaded. Can we blame her? Our disappointments, our pain, our unanswered prayer can over time, this is what happened to Sarah, put up a wall between us and our hope on the other side, between us and and God. So when we hear things like people would say, God is good. God is good all the time. Like we just saying it. God can be trusted. God, mysterious as his ways are, he has a plan. Our first response when our life is filled with disappointment is inside to laugh like Sarah. After all I've been through, you expect me to believe, to hope. And when we're there, we say, I know better. Have you ever had this wall go up? Maybe that wall is up for you today. Just like God heard Abraham's inner laugh, he heard Sarah's inner laugh, and he says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too impossible, marvelous, anything too wonderful for the Lord? If that wall is up for you, and if it's not up for you, then one day maybe that wall goes up between you and hope, between you and God. God has two questions for you here. First, why did Sarah laugh? 
Now, all this was going on, remember, inside of Sarah. She didn't express it out loud, and God was saying, why did, he, why did she laugh? Another one of God's questions, which is not designed to give him information, but to draw out the answer. And he's saying to Sarah, and he's saying to us when we have that wall, tell me, <laughs> tell me why you're laughing. Don't try to hide it from me, I already know. Let it out. And secondly, the second question is, is anything impossible for the Lord? If God is God, if God is the Lord, if the Lord is the Lord, then he can bring down. He can bring down the wall of your cynicism. He's saying, I'm still here on the other side. In fact, this was the exact thing that God said to Mary many, many years later. When the angel told Mary, you're going to conceive and have a son. And she, it doesn't say she laughed, but I have to believe she kind of laughed inside. <laughs> what? I've never been with a man. And the angel says, nothing will be impossible with God. God has broken through the wall of our disappointments, the wall of our grief, the wall of our hopelessness. Not with reasons, not with another answer for us, but as we see through the womb of the Virgin Mary, he's busted through the wall with himself. And this is a glimpse of what we're getting with Sarah. He's saying, I can break through the wall, the wall of your hopelessness, the wall that seems impossible. It's not impossible to me. And then in verse 15, Sarah, it says, she denied it. She says, I did not laugh because she was afraid. And God replied, no, you did laugh. And he just leaves it at that. And even when we read it, I heard a number of you laughing and chuckling because we know the story's not over. God says, I'll just leave it there. You did laugh. And we're left hanging until chapter 21, which we come to the third type of laughter here, the laughter of faith. This is the climactic moment in the Abraham story. Everything God had promised, it all depends on a son. It all depends on a seed. And he said, it has to be you, Abraham, and your wife, Sarah. And after waiting and waiting and laughing in disbelief and laughing in disappointment, we learn of a different kind of laughter here. The laughter of faith. In verse 1 of chapter 21, it says, The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. It's telling us God keeps his word. Impossible to us, define all of our reason when it seems hopeless in his timing, in his way. God keeps his word, he keeps his covenant, he always does. And he does it in a way that brings laughter. The word laughter, if you look at this, chapter 21 is all over these seven verses. Three times the name Isaac is mentioned. Verse 3, Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. He laughs. And when his son, he laughs, was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. 
Abraham was 100 years old when his son, he laughs, was born to him. 100 years old. Sarah said in verse 6, God has made me laugh. And everyone who hears will laugh with me. Some people say, uh, some commentators say, maybe she said, people will laugh at me. Like there's a 90-year-old woman with a little infant. And she's like, I'm fine. (laughs) People laugh at me. They can laugh with me. They can laugh at me. Here I am, nursing this child. Now remember, it was God who named Isaac. The parents didn't pick his name. He said, you're going to have a son. His name will be He Laughs. So that every time Abraham and Sarah looked for Isaac and they called out his name, Isaac, Isaac, you know, we hear the name Isaac, but it's like us naming our child Giggle or Chuckle. You say, hi, Chuckle. Come here, Chuckle. Where are you? Oh, I love you, Chuckle and Giggle. That's how it sounded to them, and that's how God wanted it. Every time God wanted them to be reminded that they would look at their child and they would never say, look what we did. Look what we made. They would every time say, look what God did. Look what God made. And they would laugh. They would not look at their child and say, look, he's the result of our great and resolute faith. Here is what we created. No, always laughing and saying, look what God did. Look what God has given. Isn't it impossible? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it marvelous? We couldn't do it. We didn't do it. But there he is. It's true. This is at the very heart and at the very essence of biblical faith. Faith. Saving faith, sanctifying and growing faith is trust in God to do the impossible, to remove all and every ounce of trust that we can earn, we can achieve, we can win the blessing of his favor, the forgiveness of our sins and his fatherly love. And we accept it all and only as a gift of grace an impossible gift. In order to become a son of Abraham, a Christian, the Bible later on says, the Apostle Paul especially says, you have to become an Isaac. You want to be a Christian? You got to become an Isaac. You got to become a he laughs and a she laughs first. In Romans, over and over again, he says, Abraham's our father. Abraham is the father of all Christians. So what does that make you if you're a Christian? You're an Isaac. You're a he laughs and a she laughs. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Know then that those who have faith, those who have faith are Abraham's sons. And later on he says in verse 29, And if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed. You're Abraham's sons. You're Abraham's seeds. You are Isaac's. How does this all happen? How do we become Christians? By faith. Trusting in God to do the impossible. To humble my proud heart. And cause me to see my helplessness. My barrenness. My deadness before him. And to open my hands to simply receive what is unbelievable. That in Jesus Christ, he takes what I deserve. For all my stumbling for all my unbelief, 
for my laughter at God saying, this can't be true. It's too good to be true. I can't believe you. I'm too disappointed. For all my wandering, Jesus takes all of that and he gives me everything that is his as the rightful son of God. His beloved status. The ear of the father. The inheritance of all things in the new creation. He says, take it. It's yours. The gospel, friends, is like Abraham and Sarah, just like they did. One day we will look back at all our waiting, all the doubts we had, all the mistakes we made, even the hurt we caused that haunts us. And we will laugh at it all. Not a lighthearted laugh, not a flippant laugh that just dismisses it. It will be a deep and joyful laughter. That is the only response we can have to God who somehow used it all to refine our faith, to cure us of our own self-confidence, to show us our inability to get his blessing anywhere else, to fully pardon us, to use it all as a part of a story where he gets all the glory. A story that when others hear our story, when it's all said and done, then we will be like Sarah. And we will say people are just going to laugh when they hear about this story of the incredible grace of God. A God of ridiculous grace in my life. A God of covenant love. When we are all gathered around the eternal feast of this table just a foretaste and we get to hear all the stories when it's all said and done when, I, when we sit together in the new creation we say tell me the story how did you get here to the new creation it's going to be a lot of laughter <laughs> we're all going to be saying I don't know how I got here how did you get here but let me tell you the story and over and over again as those stories are told we're going to laugh and go A God of ridiculous grace. He did the impossible. We're all Isaacs. Final applications, just a few for you to think about. If this is true, if we really get the gospel, we pass through the laughter of disbelief, it's too good to be true. Then God says, now you get it. I'm too disappointed. God says, I can break through that wall I have in the person of my son, Jesus. And we laugh with faith. This is what it looks like. It means the more we grow as Christians, the more we laugh. We can say, the more we get to know ourselves before God, who we are and what God has done, we say, can you believe it? I'm a Christian. If I can be a Christian, anyone can be a Christian. If I can make it this far, anyone can make it this far. Just look at me and laugh. God is so gracious. And so we don't, we don't lose hope for anyone or anything or any situation because we know our own stories. That's a mature Christian faith. This doesn't mean we take grace for granted and are nonchalant towards obedience and growth. If you say, what do you mean, laughter? 
What about obedience to God? Laughter is the place to begin to truly obey out of gratitude, joy, out of the surprising grace of God, out of faith and confidence, not in ourselves, but in God, who is at work despite us. Beyond what we can see, his power is at work in us. So we can laugh. Second and related, we don't take ourselves too seriously as individuals or or as a church. We take God and his word seriously, but not ourselves. Our own reason. Our own ability to project or control God's work. How and when and where it must take place. All our serious efforts to try to earn God's blessing and favor on our lives. All our efforts and suggestions for God. God, have you considered doing things this way in my life? How come you don't answer my prayer request based on my agenda? We bring those things to God. They are serious, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. We laugh knowing God is at work. Despite what we can understand, despite our limited wisdom. We don't take ourselves too seriously. And lastly, when our laughter is waning, it's usually a sign that we are living like it's up to me. It's up to us. It's up to us to come up with the strategy to fix this. It's up to us to get the blessing that I want on my life. It's up to us to get ourselves out of our helplessness, our barrenness, and our hopelessness and deadness. When that's where we are, we've forgotten It's not up to us. And we can laugh. Let's pray. Father, it almost sounds wrong to say that we can laugh when the needs of our lives are real, the pain that we experience is real. The disappointments we have and the struggles we have are real. And we know that you're not telling us that they're not. But you're telling us that something is even more real. Your redeeming and covenant love for us in Jesus. Despite ourselves, despite what we can see and understand. And I pray that we would, as we come to this table, have laughter in our hearts the laughter of faith, the laughter of grace, that you would restore an amazement and a wonder to us, that we would be able to grab a hold of what you said to Sarah, is anything impossible for the Lord? And know because what you have shown us here, what you display and put before us here on this table, that the answer is no. And I pray this morning that those who are struggling to hold on, that you would meet them, that you would meet us in disappointment, in our struggle to believe what you say is true, that we would see based on your word, your promise, and this sacrament, that it indeed is far, far greater than anything we can imagine. It's true. Help us smile, help us hear your laughter, help us trust. In Christ's name we pray, amen.